Welcome, beautiful world, to Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, Conan Tanner. What's up, everybody? Beloved listeners, thank you so much for joining on another episode here of the BNP. We're going to start things off today with a quote from Vadim Zalend. This is from his book, Tufti the Priestess, Live Stroll Through a Movie. When you compose reality, the script rearranges itself to fit your composition, even if you cannot perceive this happening. All you have to do is systematically illuminate the goal frame. But you will persist in having everything run according to your plan, and in this, you hinder the implementation of what you have imagined. And even when you do not actively compose reality, passively drifting along a current of events, the script isn't out to harm you, because causing harm is energetically costly. The script always takes the path of least resistance, but you resist, and so you spoil everything. You spoil things in as much as you express non-acceptance. In this way, unconsciously and without deliberately meaning to, you compose for yourself a worse reality than the existing one, albeit not as effectively as you would with intention and awareness. You condescend to express your dislike every time something contradicts your expectations and plans. That's how you are, irritating and tedious. So, to avoid distorting reality, instead of turning it into a wonderful world that is pleasant in all respects, you will need to make a habit of one simple principle. Find the advantage in everything. Literally, try to take the advantage from any disappointing situation and generally from any event that causes you the slightest feeling of aversion. Set yourself the goal of reaping the benefit. Any event or situation in life is made up of the negative and the positive. Reality is dual in nature. Where there is black, there you will find white. Your task, instead of wrestling with it and being single-minded and stroppy, is, I don't know what stroppy means, P.S. This is translated from the Russian. I'm honestly, I've never heard that word before. Uh, T-S-T-R-O-P-P-Y, stroppy. I like it. I like the phonetics of it. Your task, instead of wrestling with it and being single-minded and stroppy, is to set about seeking the advantage in any situation. I won't give examples, just try it, and you'll understand instantly just how brilliantly this approach works. So that's a quote by Vadim Zelend, translated from the Russian, his book Tufti, The Priestess, Live Stroll Through a Movie. It's some next-level manifestation stuff, I love it. I've read it twice already. It's, uh, it's a real mind fuck, folks. Real mind fuck. Anyways, back to the uh, episode at hand. So my guest today, I'm very excited to share with you all. We have uh, a returning guest and a new guest. They are both PhDs. So we got two PhDs here in the same episode on the BMP, which is a record. So we have Dr. Sylvie Salinger, PhD returning. And then she is joined by Dr. Ernest Foster Wallace, PhD. 
And these are just two of the most eloquent and intelligent and critically thinking analytical folks I know. And um, I thought, who better to have on in this time just to kind of shoot the breeze and discuss different theories and ideas. And um, both Sylvie and Ernest have done a ton of research on obviously the evolving situation with the pandemic and the response to the pandemic and the cover up and the misinformation and the contradictory information, all that stuff. So we're going to try to sort of articulate some of these contradictions and maybe get to the not necessarily get to the bottom of some stuff, but, you know, just talk it out. And um, so they've uh, chosen personally to self-isolate since early March. So they have been, they've been in uh, sheltering in place for a while. All the way back when I was in Orlando for PodFest 2020 in early March, they had already chosen to self-isolate. And so, um, you know, they've been doing a lot of research and really applying critical thinking, analytical thinking to everything they've read, plus their own contacts in academia and otherwise. And um, together, they really are a wealth of ideas and information and inspiration. So I wanted to bring them on to talk about the evolving situation with COVID-19 and the possible connection with bioweapons labs in Fort Detrick, Maryland in which there was a major security breach in July of 2019, as well as obviously the Bioweapons Research Lab in Wuhan province, which has connections to yet another Bioweapons Research Lab in North Carolina. So there's a lot of interplay. You know, the Bioweapons Research Labs don't exist in a vacuum. They communicate with one another. And this idea that somehow China is like, you know, the only one doing research in this stuff is insane. The US is by far takes the lead. Uh, DARPA and you know anything involving uh, anything involving anything that can cause mass death you you you're, you know that the U.S. is leaps and bounds <laughs> ahead of the curve uh, just because of the insane we're the we're the Roman Empire on steroids y'all and uh, we just dump like you know the majority of our energy and treasure and tax money into uh, researching better ways to um, achieve global hegemony through military domination. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to interview Sylvie and Ernest uh, be also because these two were well ahead of the curve in terms of kind of getting people to take seriously this situation and warning people, myself included, that this was going to be a big deal. Um, Sylvie was telling me to stock up way back in, like, I think even January, uh, way before even I. You know, was I was following it a lot. I was following the news, and I definitely took to heart what she was saying because I respect her and stuff. But I definitely was not taking it seriously. And I go into in this interview the, the come to Jesus moment for me when I really realized that um, this was going to be a thing and that our supply chain was incredibly vulnerable. So I won't uh, rehash that story now. But um, way back when Senators Richard Burr and Kelly Loeffler were dumping stocks, millions of dollars of stocks and assets. The day after they received a private briefing on the impending crisis, well before the public was told anything, besides President Trump saying that it was a Dem Party plot to undermine his re-election campaign, uh, way back in this time, um, Sylvie and Ernest were um, trying to warn people. So I, I tell them it kind of reminds me of the Greek mythological figure of Cassandra who uh, had, took a pact with Apollo that she'd be able to see the future, but then she went back on her 
there were some conditions to the pact and she reneged on them and so Apollo cursed her that even though she would be able to see the future nobody would believe them or believe her and so I wanted to find out kind of what that was like um, psychologically for Sylvie and Ernest who have been like I said um, ahead of the curve and, and kind of on, on the cutting edge of um, preparing for this and taking it seriously and um, and now and now where we are now is trying to figure out you know kind of get to the bottom of it or at least try to um, do our own research and think critically and, and not just take everything that we are told by the the lamestream media um, at face value and take it all with a grain of salt um, we also talk about the cultural factors at play in terms of normalizing face mask use in the US which is really interesting and we talk we talk about a bunch of other stuff as well so it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the BMP Dr. Sylvie Salinger and welcome for the first time Dr. Ernest Foster Wallace. And without further ado, let's get into this podcast. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. Much love. One thing about music when it's real, they get scared. Got a slave for the welfare. Ain't no food, clothes, or health care. I'm down for guerrilla warfare. All my niggas put your guns in the air. If you really don't care, stalk in the air. Make a nigga want to buck in the air from a bubble locked up in the jump in the air. Shit is real out here. Don't believe these videos. This fake ass in the street. Gotta play the song on the radio. Really though, DP's gonna let you know. It's just a game of pimps and hoes. And it's all about who you know. Not who we are or how we grow. I rap about what I know, what I go through, what I've been through. Not just for no dope. Even though the rent do what I'm into ain't for no dope. Or just for fame, everything must change, nothing remains the same, sick of the same old thing, is bigger than blame, blame. If I feel it, I feel it, if I don't, I don't, if it ain't really real, then I probably won't, rolling with my soldiers, live soldiers, ready to cry, for this real hip-hop, y'all I'm ready to die. Sylvie Salinger, PhD, and Ernest Foster Wallace, who is, you're also a PhD, right? Yeah, that's true. Dang, <laughs> we got two PhDs right now on the BMP. That's a record. We've never had two on at once. So this is a momentous occasion. Piled higher and deeper times two. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, so what better people to have on uh, than you guys to just discuss the current state of affairs, the current state of the world, your guys' own psychological process with everything. And I, I guess we'll just start off with this. Uh, one of the reasons why I've been wanting to interview you two for a minute is because you guys were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of um, trying to uh, like get people to take this whole COVID thing seriously back in what like january seems like time has just like completely evaporated i have no idea like when anything started <laughs> i have like i don't know what day of the week it is but i remember before society in america was even really like talking about it really you you especially ashley were like hey are you prepared for this and i was like yeah of course what do you mean like i have a life straw you're like yeah you might want to like you know get some groceries and get your shit together. And I was way late to that. Um, I kind of had like a rude awakening moment um, in my local grocery store this one Friday when everyone panic shopped in Phoenix and there was like no water on the shelves. And I was like, oh shit, I guess this is a, this is a serious thing. So what was it like for you guys like before it became a thing in the US? Um, how, were you, how were you kind of like more tuned in? Was it just an intuitive thing? Did you have information? Were you just paying closer attention? What was that like for you guys? Um, I'll go first. It was probably a combination of things. So I do pay decent attention to the news. Um, so I saw this playing out in China and there is this one video in particular where it was, I think in an airport and they had this like blow up self-enclosed bubble but it was actually like the shape of a square and they had like a single individual in there and they were like quarantining him and I'm thinking to myself okay so this disease is so extreme that you have to have someone in this like basically bubble and escorted through the airport okay so this probably has something to do with respiratory illness Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it must be highly, highly contagious, right? Um, it's not like merely like there's a lot of contagious things that you can get with exchange of blood or something like that. But this is not like that. This is like kind of invisible. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, I saw this happening and a lot of I mean, I think there's like a lot of anti-Asian sentiment where individuals think, okay, well, all all Asians wear masks and all Asians are overreacting to these things and they're acting like, you know, just like irrationally and this is just an overreaction. Like there's a lot of anti-Asian sentiment, I think, in the media. And so especially with mask wearing, that's something I definitely want to talk about later is the mask wearing and the stigma against mask wearing. But um, basically I saw that and I was like, okay, this is real. And then I'm thinking, okay, so we're a globalized world and there's tons of travel all the time and relations between China and U.S. are, I mean, we're very uh, interlinked with them economically. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when will this happen here? There's no reason to think that what is happening over there wouldn't happen over here and it would probably happen over here in a worse way because the CCP you know, has more control over their citizens and more surveillance and um, individuals are more obedient to the government and also more community oriented. So they're going to follow the dictates of the government to, you know, contain this as quickly as possible. I mean, that 
you know, there's like a bunch of mixed things that happen. But basically what I'm trying to say is that the situation was very extreme there. And I was like, okay, well, it's just a matter of time before it comes here. And it would be just as extreme here unless there's some, for some reason, it targets only certain individuals. But that wouldn't make any sense. So, mm-hmm. um, some friends too who are kind of in the government and talking about, you know, it's, it's, uh, they're starting to try to prepare for it uh, when this was happening in China. And then also you looked on the internet and they had satellite images in Iran of, of mass graves. And then you look in Italy and I had some postdoc friends there who are from Italy and like, this is no joke. So on on the one hand, maybe it's like this massive disinformation campaign. On the other hand, maybe this is like really happening and, why risk it if you can, if you're if you're not sure? Um, might as well look like you're crazy and be safe. As far as I'm concerned, then <laughs> right. to look like normal and end up seriously injured or dead. I mean, it, it's a it's a no brainer at that point. And like, what's the timeline here when you are seeing the bubble on the plane? Do you remember? I honestly feel like it was in February, but I'd have to double check. No, it would definitely was in February. It could have been January at the earliest and February at the latest because we started self-isolating, which we just chose to do that on March 7th. So from March 7th to right now, we I have not left the house except to go to nature preserves and like to walk around the neighborhood with like a mask on. And then we have eaten every single meal from home meaning no takeout and we've made we've prepared every single meal at home so we've done that which may seem extreme to some individuals but that's what we've chosen to do but i definitely saw this footage in either january or february and then i mean i'm just interested in this and i had another friend who kind of overreacts to things and every time there's any type of um disease that's infectious disease that's spreading she's on top of it and she's texting me about it and she was very concerned when there was ebola um and the thing is is that right like with ebola we can think oh oh that affected you know certain countries in africa mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. lack you know modern health infrastructure in certain countries in africa and so that would never come here and Yes, it didn't expand here and it didn't become a major problem here because Ebola is so deadly and so awful and it's easy to it's easier to identify versus coronavirus uh, or COVID-19 is more um, insidious because you can have so many asymptomatic carriers. Um, So that is one of the things that kind of freaked me out about it. But yeah, that's what I just saw that coming. And then I just got like in this really weird prepper mode. And I think part of it is intuition, too. I I do think I'm like a little bit psychic. And I think that I'm a cancer. That's my primary um, sign. So that I think that being a cancer has me um, more intuitive and more psychic. So I felt some intuition there as well. So there's a figure in Greek mythology called uh, Cassandra, and she had made like a deal with Apollo. She was kind of like a, a fangirl of Apollo, and she was like, hey, I'll give you like some favors if you give me the ability to see the future. And Apollo was like, okay. So he granted her the ability, but then she like reneged on her offer. So Apollo got butt hurt and was like, all right, fine, I can't take away your power, but I'm going to 
add a curse to it in that no one is going to believe you. So you're going to be constantly <laughs> prophesying the truth, but no one is going to believe your prophecy. And then you're just going to have to watch the thing unfold. Uh, it reminded me, this figure in Greek mythology kind of reminded me a little bit of you guys because there was, it was about, I'd say three weeks almost when uh, you were kind of telling everyone to take this more seriously. And, and for the most part, I mean, I know I, I really wasn't. I, I was listening to you and taking it into heart, but deep down I wasn't taking it seriously again until I had that come to Jesus moment in the grocery store when there was no water on the shelves. And I was like, oh, our supply chain's actually pretty vulnerable. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so uh, so what was that like for you? Like, Well, I have to say that my family members and I approached them about this so if they ever listen to this podcast, they are we're about to say so it doesn't really matter but um <laughs> basically my family members bullied me and trolled me um to a very extreme extent when i first came out with this when and i started wearing um masks and so I, was, I was wearing masks in the airport in february yeah yeah so what was happening Broad, right so why risk it like you look like a psycho but then again like hopefully you're wrong but worst case you just so, feel like you're a weirdo it's whatever you know? <laughs> right. so individuals were <laughs> were saying so i'm always so in my family system so we learn about family systems in you know 12 stuff and in just psychology and there's typically these like archetypes that show up in every family system. And one of them is the scapegoat. And in my family, I've always been the scapegoat or the black sheep or the one who, uh, the scapegoat is typically the one who sees things that are messed up in a family and then they are the one that exposes it or they, they speak up if you see injustice in the family system, even if something simple like, you know, one sibling's being treated differently or unfairly or a parent's being unfair to a sibling. It's the, it's the scapegoat that's the one that brings attention to it and calls, calls things out. Um, so I inhabited that role again in the family system, not consciously, but basically what happened is that everyone pounced on me and they were like, you're overreacting, you're being crazy. And then they turned to ridicule and they were ridiculing and teasing and mocking me and calling me the coronavirus czar or czarina. <laughs> <laughs> and sending me like every single time, I, like, and just like, trolling me on Facebook and then. <laughs> and just cause you're fun, that's me and you're right. You know, and we could have been wrong too, but uh, it just muddies the waters when you're trying to make uh, the best rational decision you can. It's not a very good survival strategy to have this extra layer. So for me, that was uh, just extra processing. You have to filter out on top of like this medical incident that's also political in nature. There's this, you can't treat it in isolation. It's not good for specialists to just think about it in terms of their own specialty because this thing is so interconnected with other domains that uh having the ridicule layer is just uh, yeah that's a really good way it's a good way of putting it uh Ernest, that it, it this isn't just incredibly like i know this word is a little bit overused but this is like the most intersectional fucking event like it's like there's not a single aspect of our society that's not somehow affected by it or like the layers are also being peeled away by certain things. Like I think people forget that the root of the word apocalypse is actually the unveiling. It's not like the end. It's just actually the yep. unveiling of, of the truth. And um, so in that regard, this is a very apocalyptic 
event because things are being laid bare, uh, not the least of which, as I said, is the vulnerability and fragility of our supply lines that we take utterly for granted in our zombie consumerist late stage capitalist society where it's all about going to your favorite store and getting your favorite bullshit. And uh, of course, the groceries are like an afterthought. You know what I mean? Get your iPhone first, then pick up your broccoli. But it's like when you go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty and people are panicking. I mean, it's it's a real fucking wake up call, especially when you're extremely stoned like I was when it happened to me. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> What's going on? I, I got the... That thing like that, that whole kind of tempo that we're encouraged to live in put us into a position of being extremely like not resilient very brittle and ill-equipped to really handle stuff when things deviate from what we consider to be normal mm-hmm. right and it's such like a fragile like normal where things have to go exactly right all around the world that like what do we honestly expect like you know if you if you believe in the butterfly effect something small can make a big change here's one of them i mean this is a bit of a a black swan event but in general just emotionally i just don't think that our culture has cultivated a, a very resilient posture or a very self-sufficient posture and as a result of all these dependencies like this has a lot more impact and uh and so maybe there will be some positive change that comes out of that with respect to to this event i don't know I think that we have a role to play in that, whether or not there's positive change. There's not, positive change isn't just gonna happen. In fact, what's gonna happen is negative change, um, in my opinion. So it's really, <laughs> it's up to like individual humans who are aware and have a vision to like bring that vision into existence. This is one of those situations where our rights are gonna be, they're gonna try to take pretty much what little rights we have left, uh, the powers that be are gonna try to take them away. So it's, are we gonna let them or are we gonna actually take their power? And it's it, we're, it's literally, we're at that point now, there's no sugarcoating it, the class war is here. Uh, if that stimulus bill didn't demonstrate that, then I don't know what people are, they're just not paying any attention. So that the, the elites have brought the class war to our doorsteps and now it's like, do we pick this up or do we just lay down for them basically? Mm. Um, I was gonna say something. <clears throat> What were you just talking about right before that? Right before the... We're talking about family dynamics. Unveiling. Unveiling. Intersectionality. Um, <clears throat> the supply chain. The fragility of the supply chain. Um, oh. how, uh, the butterfly effect. Yeah, so... what? Uh, there is this article in, on Medium called We're like, Prepare for the Ultimate Gaslighting. And it just talks about how we're going to want to go back to the status quo, but that's, again, so this pandemic has led to the great unveiling of all the issues of late capitalism, the vulnerability of everyone, how grocery store workers are being paid minimum wage and not given many benefits, and then they're the ones that are, like, they're putting themselves on the line in terms of exposure, but they're getting treated the least well, and yeah. they aren't yeah. getting any benefits from the government in any way. And um, also, like, uh, the vulnerability of undocumented populations, definitely that's um, coming to the fore, as well as increased surveillance, and then the potentiality of a cashless society 
so yeah, all these things are kind of coming to a head and then but the problem is in American society is this is the this is what I think the root of it is is we want to so there's like personal liberty versus like government, you know, whatever, government interference or government control. And that's like a very crude way of putting it because it's more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. But I think a perfect example of this is just how the Jacksonville, Florida, um, I think it's the mayor opened the beach in Jacksonville, Florida, right when the Florida coronavirus caseload has increased and still on the increase. It hasn't peaked. It's not going down right now. And like, instead of having it where people are walking, you know, six feet apart on the beach wearing masks, which would maybe be like the reasonable approach to potentially opening up a, a beach, they were crowded with people not wearing masks, not following social distancing all over each other, basically probably a breeding ground for an increase in cases. So um, we have this kind of, okay, so like, why can't individuals just follow the simple, like, the simple guidelines for public health to decrease the pandemic? Why can't people just wear a mask for a little bit of time? This isn't permanent, like be six feet away. And then, and like, that's a, that's, that's a moderate approach to like potentially reopening a beach. But it's just like, it's just ridiculous because people don't want to even, they want to ignore all advice from the government because we're getting contradictory messages all the time. Like Trump said, uh, everyone should wear a mask if they can, but again, and, and, and this will help protect you, but again, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. And you know what? Hell with it. I'm not wearing a mask. Okay, what? <laughs> Right. That, that is like the weirdest double speak, like 1984, Brave New World, Orwellian speech. Or it's just like the flu, We're going back. Yeah, dismissive. It's like the flu. <laughs> yeah, just like the Spanish flu is just like the flu. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that was also a flu. <laughs> Sometimes flus are really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. I think I think uh, so. This this ties back into a little bit of of what you were touching on with like. Um, the cultural, and obviously I've not actually been to China, so I'm speaking out of turn a little bit, but it does seem like it, there's obviously cultural differences between China and the US, and the United States is like, we're such a, this like rugged individualist, or at least the myth of that, it's like this weird consumerist, like bastardization of the idea of rugged individualism, so it's basically like, you are, you have every right in the fucking world to get whatever shoes you want from the mall whenever you want to. And that's your that's your <laughs> God-given manifest destiny fucking right. And it's like, no one can take that away from me. And I'm not a fucking pussy, so fuck this virus. And like, that's literally what, and Florida, yeah, Florida is like a very good example of that type of attitude. Um, ironically, I was in Florida. When you guys decided to start uh, sheltering in place, I was in Florida and I had to fly back on the 9th of March. And um, you guys inspired me to, to actually put a mask on. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> Yay. So two things that they, I want to touch on that they, you know, tried to, I don't, they weren't transparent about, and they meaning the government and the CDC. One is masks, two is the respiratory component. So when I saw the coverage in China, it was obvious that there was a big respiratory component and that being in a confined space with others 
it would be very um, contagious. So they have a case in, that just happened about a month ago in the state of Washington where 90 individuals, this is a rough estimate, I don't know the exact numbers, but about 90 individuals were in one room doing a choir rehearsal. No one knew that they were sick at the time of the rehearsal. Then, like, a, a couple weeks later, there you have 60 individuals who are infected with coronavirus, and then I think between 5 and 10 of them died. I could be off with the numbers a little bit, but that's what happened. So it's clear that you don't have to be actively coughing, sneezing. You could just be merely projecting your voice, singing in an enclosed space, and it can spread that way. And that has to that's like the exact thing that was modeled in event 201, which mm -hmm. was the um, a bunch of business bigwigs, public health scholars, policymakers came together to and to do this Bill Gates funded and other funded and other organizations funded um, event scenario where they modeled an event. And the event is very similar to COVID-19, mm -hmm. and but they call it a respiratory. They call it like something that it's similar to the um, Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome. Is that what it's called? Yeah, um, MERS. Yeah, it was super similar deadly. To, yeah, it was, it's very similar to MERS. But for so long, the American government and especially, I guess I'm talking mainly at the press briefings and the CDC, the information that was being communicated to the American public via mainstream media and the White House press briefings, basically were saying, oh, that you don't have to worry about getting this respiratory, like it's, it's, it doesn't have to do with the air, it just has to do with like handshakes. So there's this emphasis on washing your hands, that's under control, not sharing surfaces, but it's not just the surfaces, it also has to do with the respiratory component and it was very clear to China early on that that was an integral part of it. And I don't understand why we ignored that for so long, it, unless they just didn't want people to freak out um, because they couldn't handle this thought that it could be hanging out in the air. I think but you, that has to do, Sorry. Sorry. You, you go. Mm -hmm. That has to do, and then that segues into the mask component. So um, it is true that in in many countries in Asia, particularly in China and Japan and Korea, masks, and I think maybe a little less in South um, Southeast Asia, but in like ch in China, in Japan, and in Korea, masks are worn frequently when one is sick, um, so that they you don't pass on your illness to another individual, and there there is a normalization of wearing of mask wearing. And here I think that we are averse to masks because of um, this kind of lingering anti-Asian sentiment. And then also I think when people see masks, they also, I think there's also a little component of um, Islamophobia here in, this, in the sense that when people see masks and facial coverings, they get, this, they get anxious about it. Somehow they have this weird aversion to it, um, much like people have aversions to hijabs. So, hmm. um, I think that I think there really is that it's like very it's very like it's 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 definitely there. So I think that has to do with the aversion to face mask wearing and also people not people don't want to be told by the government wear this. It's not it's they, they never said wear this for the rest of your life. Like if you live here on the earth for 80 
three years, you have to wear this for like 60 more years. No, the government's not saying that just temporarily wear this freaking mask. It's not that big of a deal. Like the fact that that's such like I'm like I would be more upset if we uh, had to be constant. Like we have to be under constant surveillance. Right. That would be more upsetting to me. But like wearing a mask for protection, that doesn't freak me out as much. Right. I think there's like a few things from my perspective that are important about the mask wearing. It seems like it's uh, an effective preventative measure. Now, now they've come out with that, but they had it in the beginning, and, and it's this whole supply chain issue too, which uh, Sylvia pointed out earlier when we were first going through this, is that there just wasn't enough supply for the the N95 masks that that one would really want to have. And uh, you know, in other countries, masks are more of a, a common accepted thing. But so on the one hand, it's more economics of of the Hello? Hello. No, I, I think they're maybe a, an intruder alert. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I, I hear a car. There's, a, no, there's, there's an alarm going off outside, like a car alarm here. Oh, okay, that's what I, okay, I, was, I wasn't sure. So, no, I think that there's the economic component with the masks, too. I mm-hmm. also think it scares people. Like, like the, you have to acknowledge that something isn't normal, and, and so you have right. this normalcy that happens when disasters or, or disruptions occur, and people are averse to those kinds of admissions of having that things aren't normal, because then it throws you into, well, what do you do when you have all these conditions, like you've been conditioned to operate in this environment, and now you have to admit it's different. And, and so I think that's that's a hard thing to do as well. The only third point I want to make here is that masks don't necessarily have to be a scary thing. It's all in how we frame them. Like, so for example, you could be like, oh, like masks are what an inconvenience or a, or a pain. But on the other hand, what do we, what kinds of things do people wear for fashion? Like high heels, I heard are a real pain in the ass, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, if I if I mandated that you'd have to carry around this device that you know has a microphone and can potentially give you cancer, I think you'd be pretty pissed off. But because we frame it in terms of entertainment and something that gives you uh, connection to other people, you know maybe it's okay. And you can't even take the battery out of these new you know cancer causing devices, or maybe they don't. But the point is how you frame the mask is important to how people respond. So I think the way the leadership framed the wearing of the mask is as something with recommended, but with some disdain and, and some flippancy in terms of whether it should be done or not. I think uh, it's really it's irresponsible. Like yeah. Well, I mean, like the French clown that's in the office, just like it's just absurd. Like his existence is absurd. I still like coronavirus this entire time. I have felt like in this surreal like landscape where you wake up and you're just like, oh yeah we're in the time of coronavirus and it's, you know, it's still not, it's not defining existence per se. It's, but it is a major player right now um, on the world stage. But like ever since Trump was elected, uh, orange clown was elected. I just, I've felt just like this is so surreal. so, So absurd. Like I didn't like, you know, Bush, there's a ton of presidents I didn't like, but from president number one to the current president, I can't imagine any of those presidents who would have gone to a press conference or a press briefing during a pandemic and said, the CDC is telling me to wear a mask, but I am not going to do it. 
the orange clown is the only person I can imagine doing that. Like, let's say I really dislike Reagan and I really dislike, you know, Bush. I can't imagine them being like, wear a mask, but I'm not going to wear that one. You know, even yeah. the most distant president. <laughs> well, Reagan, of- Reagan would be like gay people and people with uh, mental disabilities are the reason why we have this disease. So just slaughter them in the streets. That's probably what Reagan would say, but just saying. <laughs> That would be pretty awful. <laughs> well, he did just like kick out. He like closed all the mental institutions in the California. He's like, what could go wrong? We need we need to tighten our belts. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm completely derailing you. Continue. <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's fucking surreal as hell. Yeah, it's just surreal as hell and just like this confusing thing. But yeah, like mask wearing, basically we have to destigmatize it. And going back to what Ernest was saying, what they did was this double speaky type thing where they said masks do more harm than good. If you adjust them, then you could get the virus on you. So don't wear them. When yep. really that was a lie because all of the literature and all of the past research and lived experience shows that masks help with pran- prevention or like trans, not prevention, but like transmission basically. Mm-hmm. If you have like a covering over your face and let's say like this is just a random number there's like 70 parts of the you know the the 70 you know microscopic particles that are coming at you and then the mask you know or like whatever you're wearing filters out 40 and then you only get exposed to 30 well then you still get are getting exposed to less particles because you have something covering you and then maybe the 30 particles won't show up and you, you actually getting any symptoms and you'll get like a milder version. So it still is protection. And then also if you're asymptomatic, then you're protecting yourself, you're protecting the others around you. So mm-hmm. no matter what, it, it can't make respiratory things worse. Like that doesn't make any common sense that, that it, it's nonsensical. So basically the CDC was saying that only because of the supply chain thing. They didn't want yep. people hoarding them and they didn't want people freaking out and going and buying them all up because they're, I mean, the health workers right now don't have enough um, personal protective equipment right now as, as, as this, as we speak right now, they still don't have enough of that. So they didn't want people buying it up. But instead of saying, we don't want you hoarding this, don't go out because I guess they don't think that we have the self-control to do that. They said, Oh, this is dangerous. So then they switch the narrative and then they say, wait a second, these actually are helpful. You ought to all go and make your own. Okay. So what do, what is it like average American citizen supposed to think when they hear that? That makes no sense. So it's just dangerous that they, it's dangerous that they like switch the narrative so quickly and also just like like these mixed messages. It's just, it's bad. And also, when orange clown is so averse to wearing a mask when it's not that big of a freaking deal it's just again like i guess it's exaggerating this aversion to mask wearing and it's anyway it's just it's just furthering the stigmatization of mask wearing and it it just really bothers me (laughs) i'm glad that you brought that up so i have two uh two things to say about it the first thing is that um I am doing my part to try to not just destigmatize masks, but reinvigorate the sexiness of masks because yeah. there's something extremely erotic about like making really intense eye contact with people like in the grocery store and stuff. <laughs> and um, I, I just think that like there's like 
Every time I go out now, there's just like this ambient eroticism to everything because of the. My gosh, we raise you. Please sympathize all the lies we raise you. Please be allies all the time. Family energy. Drink a couple quarters on my chorus, then I go up. If I rule the world, money stacks for all my daughters. Never ask for payment in the womb, times nine. Now we see the blood on the street, times try. Feminine energy, balance up the indestructible in the vaginal heaven in thine. Heaven is mine. Spiritual, lyrical, mother sang sweetest taboo, ripple kind. If I was astonished by the level of shame, feminine energy, energy rain. Intuition and ambition, intuition shrine. Intuition and ambition running through my veins. Pour what the love, let the healing begin. The guns and the What's up, beautiful people? We're going to get right back into this episode of the BNP with Sylvie and Ernest. But first, a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's episode of the Barbarian Noetics podcast is brought to you by philosopher, economist, historian, sociologist, political theorist, journalist, and socialist revolutionary, Karl Heinrich Marx. Karl Marx was born on May 5, 1818 in Trier, Germany, and he passed on on March 14, 1883, at the age of 64, in London, England. This now is from his iconic piece, the Communist Manifesto. Let us now take wage labor. The average price of wage labor is the minimum wage, i.e. that quantum of the means of subsistence which is absolutely requisite to keep the laborer in bare existence as a laborer. What therefore the wage laborer appropriates by means of his labor merely suffices to prolong and reproduce a bare existence. We by no means intend to abolish this personal appropriation of the products of labor, an appropriation that is made for the maintenance and reproduction of human life, and that leaves no surplus wherewith to command the labor of others. All that we want to do away with is the miserable character of this appropriation, under which the laborer lives merely to increase capital, and is allowed to live only in so far as the interest of the ruling class requires it. In bourgeois society, living labor is but a means to increase accumulated labor. In communist society, accumulated labor is but a means to widen, to enrich, 
to promote the existence of the laborer. In bourgeois society, therefore, the past dominates the present. In communist society, the present dominates the past. In bourgeois society, capital is independent and has no individuality, while the living person is dependent and has no individuality. And the abolition of this state of things is called by the bourgeois abolition of individuality and freedom, and rightly so. The abolition of bourgeois individu individuality, bourgeois independence, and bourgeois freedom is undoubtedly aimed at. By freedom is meant, under the present bourgeois conditions of production, free trade, free selling, and buying. But if selling and buying disappears, free selling and buying disappears also. This talk about free selling and buying, and all the other, quote, brave words of our bourgeoisie about freedom in general, have a meaning, if any, only in contrast with restricted selling and buying, with the fettered traders of the Middle Ages, but have no meaning when opposed to the communist abolition of buying and selling, of the bourgeois conditions of production, and of the bourgeoisie itself. You are horrified at our intending to do away with private property. But in your existing society, private property is already done away with for nine-tenths of the population. Its existence for the few is solely due to its non-existence in the hands of those nine-tenths. You reproach us, therefore, with intending to do away with a form of property, the necessary condition for whose existence is the non-existence of any property for the immense majority of society. In one word, you reproach us with intending to do away with your property. Precisely so, that is just what we intend. From the moment when labor can no longer be converted into capital, money, or rent, into a social power capable of being monopolized, i.e., from the moment when individual property can no longer be transformed into bourgeois property, into capital, from that moment, you say, individuality vanishes. You must, therefore, confess that by individual, you mean no other person than the bourgeois, than the middle-class owner of property. This person must, indeed, be swept out of the way and made impossible. Communism deprives no man of the power to appropriate the products of society. All that it does is to deprive him of the power to subjugate the labor of others by means of such appropriation. All right, thank you so much to the etheric spirit of Karl Heinrich Marx for sponsoring this episode of the BNP. And now, let's get back to the pod. Everybody, Lord, they're working poor folks to death. 
And when you pay your rent and your car note, you ain't got a damn thing left. Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> yes, it is. Somebody doing something slick. Yeah, they are. It's got me wondering which is which. Might as well go up trying to add. Dig a ditch. Ain't that a bitch? Yes, it is. Now, ain't that a bitch? Let, let me tell you about my qualifications. I program computers. I know accounting and psychology. I took a course in business. And I can speak a little Japanese. I fuck song. Got to work two years to get one week off with pay. And when I'm on my job, I better watch every word I say. Ain't that a bitch? Somebody doing something slick Downtown It's got me wondering Which is which Might as well go out town and Dig a ditch, ain't that a bitch? It's way too cold Ain't that a bitch? Make me wanna holler Supermarket to get myself something to eat. And when I look at the prices, they knock me off of my feet. I was in the baloney section and I had to take myself a close look. Now, all dude, your bar couldn't have made these prices with a sky hook. Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> Somebody doing something slick. Yeah, they are. Every time I go out now, there's just like this ambient eroticism to everything because of the masks. I think masks are like fucking hot, so that's the first thing. And there are a lot of people that are like doing their own little DIY like fashion masks. Like I've seen a lot of like pers personal expression in masks as well. 
Um, and then the other thing is that I want to, we kind of glossed over this, but this is super critical to dive into, is the Event 201, the simulation that you spoke of. That only happened in November of 2019. That was extremely recent. And it was put on by Johns Hopkins University, which is a ma major CIA pipeline institution, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill Gates has ties with Jeffrey Epstein. Bill Gates and yeah. Jeffrey Epstein like to get together and talk about eugenics and like depopulation. So like that alone is sketchy as hell. And what makes it even more bizarre is that the event 201 was not the only simulation about a novel coronavirus causing a pandemic. They also had one uh, called Crimson Contagion, which happened earlier in 2019. And that one involved like 19 different federal agencies and both Crimson Contagion and Event 201, they didn't focus on actually containing the pandemic and, and limiting lives. They predicted like this catastrophic amount of deaths, but they were more concerned about how to control information and how to make sure that the, for like the seamless continuity and perpetuity of the corporate state amidst the, the pandemic. So that stimulus, wow. the stimulus bill that they dropped on us like a bomb, like it only took like four days to pass, that bill had already been written and they had been preparing for a controlled demolition of the economy for some time. Because since the crash in 2008, the economy was in another identical bubble basically because none of the problems were actually addressed. And they knew that at some point there would have to be a contraction. So I think that there's definitely some funny business, not necessarily with Trump, but with the people behind Trump, where they were like, great, let's let Donald fuck this up because that'll make it more, that'll make the controlled demolition of the economy even more um, seamless and like not suspicious. Like, oh, we had to, we, the economy just got, it was the coronavirus that destroyed the economy. It wasn't this like bubble that had to burst. You know, and then you had all the CEOs resigning in January of 2020 and 2019. You had all the senators and all the insider trading dump all their stocks way back when you guys were like, you know, way back when you guys were telling me to take it seriously. All these fucking senators were dumping all their stocks and dumping their assets. And um, they're, of course, now sitting on shit tons of cash that they can gobble up all the depressed assets once we hit rock bottom of this thing. And then on top of that, they're, they've got all these like uh, surveillance measures that they're just like priming to pass through. Mm -hmm. And it is extremely dangerous that we have William Barr as our attorney general, because that guy is just like a fucked guy. And he is basically like an organ of the intelligence apparatus, essentially. So it's, it's very, very concerning. Yeah, event two. So I hadn't heard about the other one. What was it called? Crimson? Crimson Contagion. Yeah, I'll have to look that one up later. Um, with Event 201, I did go on their website, which is kind of strange that they have all of the um, all of their the main videos of the conference available. But I don't know if there's the videos are still up. I bet they are because it would be sketched to put them down at, at this point. But right. um, there, I, I did watch several of the videos, and, and I mean, basically, it's like it's kind of yeah. So it's very double speaky to be like to have all of these ones that were modeled beforehand that deal with respiratory contagion and respiratory transmission. And then they pretended it had nothing to do with like respiratory uh, issues at the beginning or in terms of like transmission. And in event 201, I, the focus, you're correct, was on, the, the focus was mainly on um, PPE and supply chain issue, supply chain issues and PPE. Those were the that was the focus of Vent 201, and mainly with, like you were saying, 
um, keeping the you know the corporate apparatus going and also um, controlling information though they were really hung up on that on on like it, utilizing Facebook and Twitter to basically monitor social media and delete like non-official narratives Ernest tried to share with me on a message um, a an article from Le Monde the French um, media outlet about this this age researcher who had who said like this is without a doubt something that was created in a lab and um, Ernest tried to send Nobel it to Prize me winner. a Nobel Prize winner wow. and um, Ernest tried to send it to me uh, in Facebook Messenger and it didn't go through and what was in the, translation and and it was Whoa. in translation so it was it was in translate it was the English version of it. Oh my yeah, God. And what did Facebook say? Just say, hey, do you think this? You gotta tell me why do you think this doesn't violate our our uh, community standards? And it's just the URL just didn't go through. So. And then I found the original one in French, and then I posted it in French to my wall to see if Facebook would bring it down. But it didn't censor the French version; it only censored the English one, which shows that. And it's a good article. It's, it, it argues both sides of the coin, so it's not even like it was pushing just one side of a controversial narrative. And uh, that that and the and messenger look, was flagged in translation. And so. that and that's considered mainstream media in France and in Europe, writ large. So it hmm. really makes sense why that was censored because it would be it's really easy to access that information mm. i still think it's completely wackadoodle how much um info wars is censored the fact that alex jones is kicked off of like facebook and like um they like demonetize the platforms yeah and he's kicked off of like twitter and like same with like prison planet what's that guy's name i don't know you know the guy the prison planet guy that like when that is just completely wackadoodle to me like i don't care like it is completely awful what he did about um the sandy hook the the sandy hook shooting like what he said about the crisis actors and you know like the ramifications for the parents of the children who were killed yeah of course a lot of what alex jones says is fucked but yeah it's like that's no reason to just like deplatform him and throw him to the wolves exactly so like and that is just if anything like that is just a red flag that like some of the things that like the fact that he's being censored is a red flag that like definitely that proves that some of the things that he's saying definitely are true a lot of what he's saying isn't true but he will bring up things that the mainstream media definitely wants to suppress and one of those things is weirdly not being suppressed so Okay, so I, I do want to talk about this, which, like, I'll probably only talk about this a little bit, but okay. is just, like, the potentiality of um, the manufacture of, the, or sorry, the experimentation in a lab in terms of bioweapons research that resulted in perhaps a not an incomplete version of a potential bioweapon that was inadvertently released from the lab in Wuhan, which caused the current pandemic. Mm-hmm. What and about, I, sorry, you go first. I've read a lot about this 
and I am no expert. So this is just me reading with a critical eye and reading many different sources and trying to think through it and trying to think through all the possibilities. Um, but there is this individual um, at one of the institutions that I know, University of Illinois, and he's a famous law professor, and I'm just going to pull up his bio right now. Um, he's at University of Illinois College of Law, which is like, a, I think, a top 20 law school. And his name is Francis Boyle. He's a professor of international law. And he um, drafted the U.S. domestic implementing legislation for the Biological Weapons Convention, known as the Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act of 1989. And he has also served on the board of directors for Amnesty International and then on the advisory board for the Council for Responsible Genetics. And he is all about... Um, he's advised numerous international bodies in the areas of human rights, war crimes, genocide, nuclear policy, and biowarfare. This is all in his bio on the University of Illinois College of Law page. And he um, got his PhD from Harvard University and um, studied international affairs and law there. So he has a lot of knowledge. And mm -hmm. he's the one who is actually not – he he's – Right. So, like, I just read you his bio. He's reputable. There, I established some ethos for him, right? And um, he, but he, his, he's basically um, been not boycotted, but he's blackballed. been blackballed by the mainstream media. And the only one who would interview him um, was Alex Jones on Infowars. And so, if you go to Infowars and Google or not Google, but search within InfoWars website, Francis Boyle, um, it will pop up. And his interviews were the one, pointed me in the direction of um, the bioweapons evidence, which is basically that, and so, so sorry, so Fox News picked up on this. So I think they're, the mainstream media was trying to quell this. They're trying to squash the idea that, you know, that it could be a bioweapon that was engineered. But now Fox News has picked up on it because the research came out of a kind of collaboration between um, China and University of North Carolina at a lab there, which was funded by Obama. So what I think is going to happen is Fox News is going to be like, this came out of um, its collaboration, but and they're, then they're going to demonize China, mm -hmm. and then also demonize Obama, because basically this it was it was in like 2015. It was right prior to Trump's election. So mm -hmm. they can't say it. so they will be able to like go and, you know, re-demonize Obama, uh, former President Obama and um, also make China a larger enemy, setting up the potentiality for a, a a war that's behind the scenes right now. And it's more of a trade war to become an actual war with uh, advanced weaponry. God, so I really hope that doesn't happen, dude. But I see that being set up. If you go on Fox News, because I go every day, I go and like tr I like try to really just look at the different like you know like the different framing mechanisms that each of the main um, mainstream news networks employs. So I look at Fox News versus CNN versus MSNBC, and then I'll look at Infowars, I'll look at Counterpunch, I will look at Drudge. I try to just like kind of cycle through them. Yeah. But I think that that's a, a narrative they're trying to set up um, because they can, you know, they, they have two enemies there in their mind is, is China and then 
the Democratic Party and and um, Obama. So, hmm. but basically, if you look, if you read, if you listen to the interviews, there's a lot of evidence pointing to the idea that it is a um, bioweapon. But I would say, in, or or it was something in the experimentation phase, not a complete bioweapon. And one of the other things I want to point out, which I think lends evidence to the bioweapons hypothesis, is that it. I think I forgot what the percentage is, but men die from um, COVID-19 at a much higher rate than women. Hmm. And if you're going to make a bioweapon, what do you leave behind in the military? Women and children, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, who do you save first? The women and the children. So basically, if it's going to... Or you fry your enemy's testicles. Yeah, yeah right. So the fact has an, in, an impact, like they've shown impact now on reproductive organs and testicles. Um, they, they've already shown that in a lot of these um, Chinese medical studies for the COVID's had an impact on that. And then also um, the fact that it just kills men at such a, like at a, a statistically significantly higher rate. Mm-hmm. Just, I feel like lends credence to this idea that yes, it is a potential, like it was a bioweapon in the works. All right, so let me tell you what I think about it and then let me get your response about this. So um, what I am concerned about is that there is, so the the bioweapons lab in Wuhan is connected. It's not this like thing that exists in a vacuum. It has connections with bioweapons labs in the States, including Mm -hmm. one in Fort Detrick, Maryland, where there was like a really high profile uh, breach of security in like July. I give you all my love and affection now. I show you all my care and protection now. Now you don't even want it. Like you don't want to notice. So tell me what you put in all the work for. You swam me up so deep, but you're at the shore. Remember you were floating. Oh. I used to be the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. What is it about my mind? Masochistic by design Slowly sinking and I know I want you to go Don't waste my time You think I'm Thank you for listening to the BNP. Please spread the word and tell a friend. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and whatever podcast player app you use to listen to podcasts. Check out the BNP on Instagram at Conon Tanner. If you had like to support the project financially, you may do so at patreon.com slash notix for as little as $1 a month and you can cancel at any time. Thanks again for supporting and for being part of our tribe of philosopher barbarians. P.S. Epstein didn't kill himself.
this like unscrupulous manner and there was all these opportunities for um for breaches like for things to get out even like intentionally so so much so that there was like a big controversy and i think they had to shut down the lab for a little bit and stuff and um and so my my question and then i'm very concerned about what you're saying with the propaganda to uh seem to be stewing up increased tensions with china especially since the people behind Trump, he's surrounded himself with like these old school Bush era neocons who right. are their their whole thing now is this this group called Clear and Present Danger China. And it's like a Steve Bannon project. And they're just like going on and fucking Ted Cruz, that piece of garbage. He's like he's got his own podcast now and he just he, he's pushing it. And all these all these people are like really trying to um yeah, it just seems like they it's it reminds me a little bit of, of like the very beginnings of the build up to the war in Iraq with a lot of the rhetoric against China. <clears throat> and that fucking terrifies me, dude, because I don't think that would um, that would not, you know, and like what? Iraq, Iraq was terrible for the Iraqis and it was terrible for like the soul of the world and the soul of the, the US. But it didn't it wasn't like a world war type conflict. I feel like an armed conflict with China would would really um shake the very foundations of of our ability to like even live a normal life as american citizens so it's very concerning to me yeah no i completely agree with most all of what you said i hadn't heard about that one podcast or the clear and present danger but definitely um orange clown being surrounded by neocons is definitely an issue um so basically yeah if we if we gotten like trump says that he like ran on the platform of isolationism in a way, but he surrounded he ended up surrounded by neocons. And then, if we hadn't had Orange Clown, we would have had Hillary, who's a war hawk. So either way, there would have been a lot of pro-war individuals uh, in the upper echelons of society. But that's really concerning about the Maryland, Maryland labs. Um, I hadn't heard about that, but yeah, I definitely think it is tied up with. Um, research going on in the states that's under wraps i mean that's like that's not you know that's 
that's very top secret and no one's talking about because everyone thinks that like bio we've like abandoned bioweapons research but yeah, like that's obviously. hilarious haha <laughs> yeah yeah like in, in every major you know i'm sure israel has bioweapons research i'm sure that you know russia and china um north korea probably all the major well, something um, that Something that people don't realize about the United States empire, like the modern U.S. empire, is we've been unleashing plagues on Cuba and Central America for the past three decades. So as part mm -hmm. of our attempts to like just derail Cuban society and finally put an end to Fidel Castro, we unleashed at least two plagues on Cuba. And what's so ironic about that is that the Cuban healthcare system, even though they are like, you know, objectively speaking, a fairly poor country, their healthcare system is amazing. And they've been sending like healthcare workers to the front lines in Italy uh, and around the world to help stem the, to show solidarity, you know, in the face of this pandemic. Whereas the United yeah. States is increasing sanctions on Iran, which is just like a genocidal action, basically um, causing untold, you know, they're already having a tough time dealing with this. Um, so it's just like, it's it's strange to me that there seems to be like they've let the they've they've kind of like it, it looked like they really wanted war with Iran and it looked like they were pushing for that. But now I agree with you. It seems like there's this pivot towards China and I don't know what the end game there is. Like, what do these people think? Are they just do they have that much hubris that they just think that the U.S. could swagger into China, even though China owns literally 15 percent of the United States GDP annually and like treasury bonds? Like they literally own 15% yeah, of our financial system. Like, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, I think it could potentially just be a propagandistic thing that's trying to. Okay, so like Trump has lost favor amongst Americans, so his um, like his his ratings have gone down, and they're worried about his ability to be reelected, even though Biden is a very sucky opponent. And I think right now, if you had uh, the American people vote like today, that Trump would be reelected, but mm -hmm. his um, approval ratings have decreased recently, especially, you know, because of his response to COVID-19. So I feel like they could be pushing the China narrative as mine as kind of just a way to talk about the bioweapons research that was happening under Obama and then get this like resurgence of like, you know, Trump is going to be tough on China and um, look at what Obama did and that this is like the Democrats and they're the ones who actually are responsible for it. So like, let's get this camaraderie around, you know, the Republican Party and somehow that like it's more of a tactic to get Trump to be reelected as opposed to actually, um, you know, escalating this to, you know, arms conflict or nuclear <laughs> warfare with China, which would be disastrous for the world. And like you said, um, Iraq, the war with Iraq was not was not this level, but the war with China, even though we're in a war with them right now, in the sense that we're in a trade war and we're always you know, we have like, you know, submarines that go really close to them. And there's like, there's a war of aggression that's like happening, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes in a way, but not behind the scenes for the military folks. But um, it's not this aggression between the main superpower. It's not this war between the main superpowers that's out in the open. I mean, what I'm concerned about is actually like autonomous weaponry be and semi-autonomous weaponry being deployed if we ever escalate to a world war three and they have the top 
you know, um, technology, and so do we. And that would be, that is very apocalyptic. But the outcome, I'm, the outcome I'm rooting for is, is the short of World War Three, though, is, is maybe as a result of all this tension, um, we'll decouple our economies a little bit more. And, yeah. And as a result, U.S. will manufacturing and be a little more self-sufficient. And the Chinese country will also, you know, China will also be a little more, um, you know, self-sufficient. That's maybe naive to think we can all just be friends, but you could imagine an outcome where we're less interconnected. And so a global pandemic wouldn't cascade quite as quickly across. Um, maybe we would be a little more able to handle some of these these bumps in the road if, if we had a little more autonomy in the sense of more control over our own supply chain. I could see that being a good outcome of some of this uh, ramped up rhetoric. So, I mean, I think that the problem is with China is that they're going to continue. So, like, we're, you know, the U.S. is obviously a big colonial power as well and has a bunch of issues. Um, however, China also is a big colonizing force, and they've been trying to colonize Africa, and they'll have um, these African leaders take out these huge loans from them. They'll be unable to pay them back, and then they... And then basically the outcome is that China has the upper hand and has power over these African countries. So there actually have been, um, you know, colonizing Africa in a lot of these African countries and taking over economically over the past, I don't know, five years. Yeah. So that has been an issue. Um, and then I forgot what the other thing I was That's their Belt and Road Initiative. Yep, yep. Yeah. And then... Oh, yeah. So globalization, I mean, this is like the whole thing with globalization. Like there are so many boons to a globalized world and globalized culture. Um, but then there are, I mean, the big, the major drawbacks in terms of like human rights abuses and just like trade is that, okay, so we uh, took all this manufacturing, we brought it to what you'd call quote unquote third world or underdeveloped, whatever term you want to use, nations. And then we pay them a pittance, and then um, the factory owners treat them in a way that wouldn't be okay legally in the United States. And right. we say that this is okay. I mean, yeah, there are definitely still some labor practices in the U.S. that are not okay. But in general, the labor practices that are accepted in the U.S., like, these wouldn't be um, – we wouldn't accept what's going on in these – underdeveloped nations that we're exporting the labor to right. so i mean that is a negative thing that we like that is a a an atrocity and um definitely an, an a negative thing that happened with globalization with the globalized economy so i mean taking things away from china and bringing manufacturing back to the u.s that would be positive because we have a more self-sufficient uh Global supply. I mean, self-sufficient national supply chain. Mm -hmm. I think another just agriculture. I mean, like agriculture, you can go back like a tent. I mean, you can go back many years. Um, but like, I mean, it would just be cool if, if, if. I mean, this is just so like idealistic. But just if everyone had their own little plot of land, and we just had, you know, and like everyone knew how to grow basic things to eat like and maybe you know some produce 
and maybe, you know, sustainably raise some chickens or some, like, whatever type of meat you want to consume if you choose to consume meat. Put it in elementary school education. Soybeans. Soybeans are easy to grow in in the heartland of America. Mm -hmm. And have, you know, and it doesn't even have to be an individual owns it, but, like, you know, it's like the permaculture, um, like, cultivating a permaculture garden, right? Or whatever it's called. And then just and then having community gardens and just grow having, stuff you can't get in grocery stores. Like if you look like, through the seed catalogs, there's stuff out there like we don't even know about or eat. And there's just so in, much diversity of food you could have. Just yeah. embolden people to be able to grow our own things and like have it local instead of like like our. I just think our food supply is like that thing's all messed up. Like just get we don't need all this packaged twinkie shit like get rid of it like just get back to basics like go back to victory gardens you know i really think that would be good for the world and and burn the gasoline for stuff you actually need to yeah right yeah i oh sorry you go ernest Mm -hmm. so i'm it's a little ranty but i think for solid stuff you know you can do it locally and it you can augment that with things that that our existing supply chain provides it's not all you know good or bad either way but but i think a hybrid approach would be a lot better and and empower people to know that they can take care of themselves as well in their communities Mm -hmm. yeah i i've been thinking a lot about like just like the rise of populism in general um in the u.s and how that's it has like a left wing and a right wing and um, yeah. every, every once in a while, Steve Bannon has a podcast. I think it's actually, it's called like Pandemic something. Like he, he, he had his first podcast was about the impeachment and this one's about the war room pandemic. That's what it's called. And um, Steve Bannon's kind of interesting to listen to. I, it, obviously, I disagree with him on a bunch of stuff, but there are certain things I agree with him on, such as decoupling our economy with China and being more self-sufficient uh, with manufacturing domestically. So my issue is how do we somehow, because if we're going to succeed, we need to somehow merge or combine um, or harness both of these populist movements on the left, but also on the right. But I'm very passionate about like a very liberal immigration policy and being welcoming, you know, to Mexican and Central American immigrants if they want to come here and help contribute to the economy. And that's something that the Bannon crew is like completely opposed to. And um, what I'm what I just am hearing right now, listening to you guys talk about some of the the more optimistic outcomes, which is very important that we envision and imagine optimistic outcomes. Um, you know, if we did live a little more locally and we did focus more, like as Ernest said, in our education system, there was more of an emphasis on growing your own food. Maybe we could um, integrate a more liberal immigration policy and somehow, like, har- uh, kind of like f- harness all that energy into um, some of these uh, local. And sustainable initiatives and then like combine that also with increasing solar technology and you could really em- envision a world where it, it is a lot more egalitarian and a lot more secure truly for people yes yeah I don't know I think like if, if food's a good place to start because everybody all humans need oxygen and water and food so um, you get some good results practical results on on that growing stuff locally and then other policies could could fall into place depending upon what works for that area um because i'd imagine it's hard to craft policy that sweeps across it's a huge country um right so so a more local local and state i don't 
I guess I lean towards that more. But I think the federal government definitely can bring a lot to bear if it's a, it's a tool like anything else. So and how do we how do we defend against like xenophobic right wing populism? Mm, that's hard. It's difficult. Let me think. Because this whole China thing is definitely being swept up into that. It's kind of like it's right on the verge of becoming like a frenzy. I'm very concerned that we could, like you say, there's already an undercurrent of of um, kind of anti-Asian sentiment in the U.S. And I'm very concerned about that reaching more of like a fever pitch as everyone doesn't want to acknowledge our own shortcomings in this crisis and just wants to blame China for it all, you know? Right. Yeah, I think, hmm. I mean, I think, I'll, like, so I'm not a huge fan of, Okay, no, I'm a, I'm like a 50-50 fan of Bill Maher, Bill Maher the mm-hmm. comedian, and he did a really good, like, little short piece on China and just talking about what it means to be against the policies of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, versus, you know, China as a country and a nation with, like, a, you know, rich and diverse history and, you know, cultural traditions, as and then also thinking about Asian Americans and Chinese Americans and um, just how you can have a nuanced conversation about, you know, how, how you can critique, you know, policies of the CCP without also having that be paired with a resurgence of anti, you know, Chinese American or Asian American sentiment. How do you, you know, how do you balance the two? Um, well, the, I think that, uh, yeah, yeah. Something that Steve Bannon is talking about all the time now is he's like, I have a great love for the Chinese people, but the the CCP or what Alex Alex Jones calls the Shycoms, they're like the real problem and stuff. And it's like, so it's like, are you just are you guys just trying to set up trying to rejuvenate the the Cold War and just have this be like a capitalism versus communism conflict? Like, is is that their end game? I have no idea. I don't know what their what their end game is, but yeah. it just seems to me if you're if you're uh, you're following the basic golden rule. I know maybe that's idealistic too, but you're gonna distinguish the people from the the decisions made by by some of the people the that are governing them, mm-hmm. and I think that's really the the burden. And in terms of what we can control, that is what we can control, and. And that that is something that only we can do. It's it's not going to come necessarily from this high level government. How do we treat each other as a function of of ourselves? And and then dealing with dealing with China as a country, that's gonna uh, I'd imagine would emerge as a result of how we interact with each other anyway. I mean, I think it's important to look at. I think I see what you're saying, Brandon. I mean, you can't just look at like. So we're critiquing the CCP, but we also have to critique American involvement in the bioweapons research. So it's, it wasn't just this, it wasn't China that did the bioweapons research. We do bioweapons research, and it was at our lab, and it was a collaboration. So we need to think about our part and our involvement in that as well. But um, also, and also we have to look at the similarities between, like, the things that we are critical the things that we critique uh, the Chinese government for, how are we mirroring, mirroring that in what we do? So they have certain tactics they employ when they try to colonize other nations. And 
we also colonize other nations, but we employ maybe different tactics, and maybe we think that our tactics are better. We say we're trying to democratize this country and export democracy, and we give ourselves a pat on the back, versus they may use predatory um trade policies for or economic policies and and lending policies with certain you know governments in um africa and then we we demonize that and say oh no look at what they're doing so mm-hmm. i think it is like you know compare ourselves as you know admit our colonial you know like the fact that we also are you know have um, We're not boys Yeah, have acted yeah. as colonizers, continue to do so. But um, yeah, I mean that's it's it's like a nuanced conversation. I think that's definitely hard to convey in mainstream media, and it's hard. And- Twitter, 140 characters, whatever. <laughs> well, another th- aspect of it too is it's like so we have to not just hold American government accountable, but also we have to take a hard look at at global capitalism and ca- uh, that the the role of of our capitalist system in our supply chain problems. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not, uh, I'm not romanticizing the Chinese Communist Party at all. But they were better equipped, they they were sending out PPE to countries, you know, sending out millions of masks and stuff. Whereas we had uh, nurses wearing garbage bags in New York. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, the optics of that doesn't look that great for capitalism as opposed to the evil communist government, you know, of China. And I think also it's like this whole thing of like conflating Stalinism with like true Marxist ideas is like so insane and equating like uh, the Chinese Communist Party's takeover of Tibet as like the inevitable consequence of more like even just socialist policies is another like real slippery slope and that's something the neocons like to they like to pounce on that so it's like I feel so frustrated right now because I feel like on the a lot of the the left right now is like clamoring for more surveillance and shit because they're like, look at how well it worked in South Korea. It's like, yeah, I don't really want like the feds knocking on my door 30 minutes after my cell phone dies because they can't track me anymore, which is actually there's a story in Taiwan of that actually happening. Um, you know, so it's like, can we I just it's like, can we just like merge a little bit here? Can we take some of the points from each other and not be so like combative about everything? Because like there's yeah. real there's real there's real benefits to both sides of, of the think of the thought of the political divide, but there's also very real dangers. You know what I mean? And so it's like, fuck, if, if we just usher in this new age of, of uh, surveillance capitalism and then meanwhile, Steve Bannon and his team is is like kind of maneuvering for uh, this, like, you know, uh, move towards like like super isolationist xenophobic right wing populism, then you have like this total nightmarish scenario. <laughs> so it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, like you say, it's a very nuanced thing, and that's why I think it's good to have big old long podcast conversations about it because you really got to dig into this shit. Truth. So, like in terms of the, you, you were talking about apocalypse and the root word and unveiling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is, you know, pulled back the. What's what am I trying to the say? The veil. Pulled back the veil, um, and now we're seeing like the food insecurity issues that's a big deal um and the the super long lines of cars waiting at food banks because of you know unemployment and the fact that we don't have people don't have their own 
sustainable, uh, you know, self-sustaining small gardens like a victory garden and people are having to go into food banks. So the food insecurity issue and then also our our medication. Um, oh, God, so yeah. Big, big pharma, but a lot of the components, so like a lot of our medications are manufactured with components that are produced in China. And so like why would we, if if we're so distrustful of China, then why are we so trusting in the components that they're adding to the medications that we take? Exactly. And pharma is pushing on us. So that doesn't, that, that, that there is, there's some like cognitive dissonance right there. Yeah. And uh, in terms of big pharma medications, it's like, that's another nuanced thing, right? Like, you know, if I'm going to have a major surgery, then yes, I will want like, um, you know, pain meds that are produced by big pharma for like a major surgery for recovery. No, I don't want to get hooked on them, but do I want them? Yes. So like there is a role for like big pharma in the sense that there's a role for modern medicines and medications. And I'm not going to say I've never utilized, you know, medicate prescription medications and I, I don't want them, but big pharma is like out of control. And I mean, that's just a huge mess. Yeah. We um, need to but, nationalize. I think we need to nationalize the pharmaceutical industry and it would bring costs down so dramatically. And that's part of the whole greater Medicare for all debate. But um, we yeah, have to no, dedicate I, a whole new another podcast to that to really get into yeah. it. <laughs> I agree with that. And I think this like segues also into the whole vaccine debate, which I just have a couple things to say about that, mainly that the vaccine debate is not really a debate, but it's a very nuanced conversation about what vaccines are. Um, what their role is and what we want the end game of vaccines to be because my, so like obvious, like, well, first off, it's just, I see vax, I see a lot of parallels between the vaccine debate <clears throat> in the U S and the abortion debate in the U S they are so, there's so much um, almost there's like a religious undercurrents with them and there's so much vitriol on either side. And it's not like, let's have a talk about vaccines, but it's like, are you anti-vax? Let's, let's explore are you the possibilities. No, let's just call each other names. Or are you like a big Or women killer because you don't let who are pregnant have abortion. So it's like, are you anti-choice? You know, like all of the, just the, just the different ways in which we frame it. But with vaccines, there, like no matter what you think about them, there is a very real um, issue with supply with the supply chain with vaccines because if you have any sort of um, contamination within the supply chain, it can contaminate the ingredients and the ingredients in the vaccine. Whether you support the vaccine that you're getting or not, with Okay, so there was you that. You have like perfect science, but your supply chain's messed up. What are you going to do? Like there was this one. There, there's that weird. I forgot what it's called. The one illness that all the kids were getting that was like they said it was polio-like, where they were getting the partial. They were getting partially paralyzed. Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, like, that, I, I do. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if they like that. That story kind of died out, but I'm pretty sure that that was linked back to vaccines in some way. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's probably like there was a bunch of flu vaccines. Most of them were fine, but there was probably one batch of the flu vaccine that was not good or it was not good for children. 
and they got that flu vaccine and then for some of the children it had these horrible consequences so like the problem with the vaccines and also the thing is with vaccines is that we have so many vaccines and we give them to you know newborns within a very short period of time and when you look at them it's like okay yeah we don't want a resurgence of measles mumps and rubella no one wants that and so like vaccines do have a purpose however and a have, good effect and, and and a good effect in general yeah however there could be a plethora of side effects that we that are like left unstudied because if we look into if we admit to them then we're admitting that there's an issue with it and then no one will be vaccinated it's like it doesn't have to be that overreaction like we're yeah. sorry for pointing out these things because we want our kids and grandkids to have a better experience you know like right and the problem with vaccines is that they've increased over time so now we have more and more vaccines so then we have more diseases so now we have like you know, like an HPV vaccine, and we have this vaccine, and then every single, you know, say we should have all TD could have a potential vaccine that you say we should have all kids get this vaccine, even though the odds of getting, you know, a certain type of cancer from HPV is super, super low, right. and there are tons of different kinds of HPV. Um, like, the vaccine will, tar will, will protect you. I don't know how many strains of HPV there are, but there are many, and right. I think, like, less than 100 or maybe more than 100 i don't know but anyway like the the vaccine will protect you against x amount of strains of this and then like the odds of you getting the strain that ends up giving you cancer there's only a couple that uh, are associated with cancer and of those that are associated with cancer they like increase your chances of getting it by like 15 percent or like maybe one there's like one that's really bad that increases it by a lot right. but like your odds of getting cancer are still really low so we're going to say Everyone should get vaccinated because potentially you could get a strain of HPV in your life that could potentially increase your chances of getting cancer. Right. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. That's a really big, like, blanket uh, solution that's not good. But, like, the, like and then we're, we're saying maybe there's a vaccine for COVID-19, which now there's, like, backlash against that. But, like, the more disease, what about the that? more time human history, the more time humans exist on the planet the more diseases will crop up and then the more vaccines we'll need and then sooner or later we'll be needing like so many vaccines it's ridiculous and we won't even be able to like differentiate different side effects right. um or even the effects in them so i think i think the vaccine thing it is worth revisiting and and is worth investigating and kind of looking at critically instead of just being because i know i have so many friends like all like most of my friends are progressive people most of them are you know, um, they're they're like a lot of them are like super pro vaxxers So if I ever brought this up, they'd be like, "You don't believe science with a capital S," and I'd be like, <laughs> "I don't even want to talk to them because they pounce on me." Like I posted one thing about Japan's vaccination policy um, with children and how it's a lot of voluntary vaccination and that how they actually phased out MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccination that we require in the United States. And Japan is flourishing, and it doesn't look like everyone's dying from measles, mumps, and rubella over there. Right. But um, basically, like, if I bring up those things, my friends will pounce on me, and I get a lot of social backlash from that, and I get ostracized for bringing and ridicule. that up. And ridiculed for bringing yeah. that up. And, and then you have people on the other end who are like, Jenny McCarthy is God for saying that, you know, vaccine. <laughs> 
autism. So like you have all of these things, but like we, we need to be able to look at it critically. Like we don't want a proliferation of vaccines that we need a shit ton of vaccines just to exist in the, in the, uh, on the planet. And then we also need to look at the supply chain critically. Yeah. We need to uncouple politics from the scientific method. Could we maybe do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think definitely nationalizing like the, I mean, nationalizing, not having them, well, not having the pharma, pharmaceutical industries just run wild in terms of capitalism would be part of a partial solution to that, I think, actually. I think it would be better if they were nationalized. I'm really curious what would happen if we, uh, we like, ate all the vegetables we're supposed to and did all the rest. Like, would, like, our psychic abilities, like, kick back into play and then we wouldn't be as worried about treating disease? But, like, what's our potential? Totally. You know, I know that that's crazy, but that's another way to look at this whole thing. It's like we're treating diseases, we're treating diseases. What what are we doing proactively? Mm-hmm. Could we do proactively? And then like, hey, like, are there additional benefits that we don't even know about? Because like maybe psychic ability isn't like this weird thing. Maybe it's just our supercomputer that's evolved over a long period of time. Like crazy Alex Jones says, maybe it's because it's just like running. You're you're putting the right kind of gasoline into the Ferrari. You know, and focusing on stuff like that takes you out of fear, puts you more into what's possible, and you get called naive and ridiculed for that too. But I think that's that's a sign of, you know, don't be like so happy about what you know and and be willing to explore what's unknown because it could be even better. Prevention as medicine, prevention as medicine versus the reactionary model we have in the U.S. That prevention isn't profitable. That's it. That's Correct. the only reason. That's the reason. And like we yep. wanna like holistic medicine, that should be like our emphasis right now is like a whole like a holistic approach to medicine, prevention, and just like lifestyle factors. I mean, they're saying that the major factors for complications for COVID nineteen in the United States are obesity, hypertension and hypertension and diabetes. And a lot of those things are preventable. I'm not saying they're preventable for everyone and I'm not trying to uh, single people out who suffer from those conditions and stuff, but um, a lot of this, these, you know, systemic things um, contribute to obesity and diabetes. Just like the sheer amount of high fructose corn syrup in all the products that we manufacture in the U.S. So, like, if you get a yogurt in Europe, look at the <laughs> grams of sugar in a yogurt in Europe, and then look at the average yogurt in the United States and the grams of sugar in it. And, you know, the high fructose corn syrup versus just sweetening things with honey or agave syrup, like it just simple changes. And I think we just even just doing that, decreasing the amount of high fructose corn syrup in um, products in the U.S. would probably decrease the amount of people with diabetes and with with they'd probably decrease uh, obesity as well. It has to do with what's available to people if. If there were a bunch of yogurts that had a lot less sugar available to people, they probably would buy them, and it'd probably be there'd be less of it. There'd be less of incidence of um, obesity and stuff. So yep, it's kind yep. of yeah, we need to tackle these things. It it's a very systemic. Uh, it's not just about individual choice, and 
like this person's weak because they chose to eat all the shitty food. We're also the people <laughs> with these the industries pushing the shitty food right, and adding right. things that are not don't need to be. We don't need no one needs high level on the shelves, there. right? Like the shitty food takes the gets the good real estate in the grocery stores. It's mm-hmm. like, and yeah. also Victory Gardens, and we had the local. I mean, if you have the Victory Gardens and you're raising your own produce, then like that in and of itself will will just will result in better health outcomes for everyone because you'll be eating this food that you're producing. It's local. It's right there, and and then that is truly the fast food, right? If it's in your backyard, <laughs> right? That's yeah, true, that's what that's the true fast food is. What's in your backyard? This is true. Hey, we got to wrap this bad boy up. We're already almost at like an hour and a half, um, if you can believe it. But I, I really like uh, kind of ending on, on a more positive note. And I think uh, the points you guys bring up about taking accountability for one's own immune system and one's own health and um, really trying to be proactive instead of reactive about health. Um, and then if we can bring that, you know, I think I think that right now it's like, you know, Bernie has kind of reached his ceiling in terms of what he's going to accomplish for us. So it's like we have to take the torch and we have to carry forward the Medicare for all movement. You know, it's not it's not dead. It's very unfortunate that that old sniffing Joe looks like he's going to be the guy, although anything could happen between now and November, honestly. But, um, you know, th- that's just like the next that's the next kind of front of, of the battle in my mind is. Uh, you know, working towards organizing workers and worker solidarity and uh, Medicare for all and a Green New Deal and, and these types of things. So I think looking at it from a more kind of like constructive and I when I mean mean it, I'm talking about the whole COVID thing and everything is like this is as tragic as it is and as disturbing and dystopian as it is. It's also an opportunity. And so we kind of have to like you know, summon summon all of our resources and try to build momentum right now while we're all isolated so that when we can come together, we can really assemble and, and really continue the movement. Totally agree. It's just like the prepare for the ultimate gaslighting article just explains this so well, is that the mainstream media and just um, the administration is pushing for a return to the status quo. We just want things to go back to normal, but we don't we don't want that. That's just... That's a, a gaslighting. We, we never wanted that. Right. All these things that have been unveiled, all these structural inequalities, all of these just messed up things in society. We want it to go to revolution and change. So we don't want just a return to normalcy. Let's let this, you know, um, let this back better. Lit a fire For under sure. our butts to, you know, <laughs> keep chasing, um, you know, this revolution working people of all nations unite you know this exactly. is a pandemic that affects all nations so that's the last that's the last sentence in Karl Marx's communist manifesto so we, we can reignite that and yeah let's 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 delink the Chinese Communist Party from Karl Marx because they're totally different mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. let's revisit let's revisit Marx's real words and the real spirit behind um, his texts and his thoughts. For sure, yeah. And I'm um, I'm very happy to. I guess this is like my personal unveiling. Is I'm very happy to announce that I've, after much soul searching, I've decided to support uh, Gloria Lariva and Leonard Peltier's uh, presidential campaign. They are the socialist candidates. 
Um, Leonard Peltier is a political prisoner. He's been wrongly jailed since the 70s. He was one of like the spiritual leaders of the American Indian movement, and he was framed for the deaths of some FBI agents who were instituting like a reign of terror on Pine Ridge Reservation. And um, they have a really, really good platform, uh, very like, you know, where where Bernie failed delivering the socialist message, they really um, clearly outline exactly what we need. And um, and so I'm proud to announce that I'll, I'll be supporting them moving forward. Nice. Yeah. And um, thank you. So, thank you so much for coming on, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for Thanks having for us. A lot of fun. Hell yeah. And um, this one, will, this episode will come out sooner rather than later because um, I'm putting out a lot of content and I'm trying to keep the timely stuff timely because everyone is, yeah. everyone's, you know, it's helpful to just listen to people chat about this right now because it is, can be quite overwhelming. So it's, it's just, it helps to process by listening to others process. Definitely. So yeah, thanks y'all. Two PhDs on the BNP. This is a new record. So exciting times. And you guys have a good rest of your day. And uh, thanks again. You too. Peace. You got a lot to be smiling for. So what the fuck you be wildin' for? Smile, bitch! Smile, bitch! Come on! I get my grin on. I'm smiling, bitch, cause I always get my win on. I've been on so many different stages. Raced the cover of a hundred magazine pages. Made people smile everywhere that I went. I even put it on the first black president. It's evident I'm hot as a crock pot. With a big ass smile like Mr. Hot Spot. You got a lot to be smiling for. So what the fuck you be wildin' for? Smile, bitch! Smile, bitch! Come on! If you're breathing, you achieving. Smile, bitch! Smile, bitch! Come on! We having fun this evening, believe me. Smile, bitch! Smile, bitch! Come on! up in the air and show a hater you don't even much care we finna get another bag this year my ex bitch you can have that there hey this year bad vibes get cut off more trips new chicks with no draws more drinks more smoking more cars more shows with do fall and snoop dog look i ain't trying to throw no shade cause i can't see them in my lane as long as my rent getting paid Care less with a bitch thing, huh? You in the club every night with no jaw. Smile, bitch. Smile, bitch. Come on. Eating good off your food stamp card. Smile, bitch. Smile, bitch. Come on. You made a killing last year off fraud. Smile, bitch. Smile, bitch. Come on. If you know you ain't going to work tomorrow. Smile, bitch. Smile, bitch. Come on. <laughs> Smile, bitch.